0: Welcome to Just A Spoonful, the podcast that is young-ish and fully sick and back from lockdown. Uh, Yes, there wasn't a new episode last fortnight because Melbourne finally came out of hard lockdown for the first time in months and... That meant a lot of things changing and a lot of things to do and being exhausted and the emotions of the city reopening while you're immunocompromised and there's still a thousand or more new cases a day and there's people dying every day and look, it's just a lot. But I'm back and I've got a fresh new episode for you. Before I get into it, I would like to acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty of this country was never ceded and while we see borders reopening here in Australia, both state borders and national borders that have been imposed by colonial governments, I think it's worth thinking about our responsibility to the places that we live and travel to and what our footprint is on the world. What is our responsibility to these places, especially as settlers living on stolen country? So I would like to pay my respects to the Wurundjeri people, to Elders Past and Present, and to any First Peoples listening to this podcast. My guest for this episode is playwright, screenwriter, director, producer, and doctor Shamini Kumar. We talk a little bit about being settlers in Australia and her fraught relationship with the Western literary canon. Charmony is the founder of AustinCon, a day-long annual conference for lovers, sorry, not conference, convention (laughs) for lovers of Jane Austen and all things Jane Austen related. AustinCon is actually happening tomorrow, if you're listening to this as it comes out. Uh, It is happening on the Saturday, the 6th of November, 2021 at the Abbotsford Convent here in Melbourne, or also online. It's going to be live streamed as well. Online tickets are $20, a little bit cheaper than in person, which is good. And uh, the stuff that's live streamed is going to be available for 48 hours after it's streamed. Uh, So if you can't get to it immediately tomorrow, uh, you've got a couple of days and uh, I will be appearing at AustinCon on a panel called Non-Canonical Pairings, where we basically get to ship Jane Austen characters with anyone we want. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm also looking forward to Before Bridgerton, uh, Representations of Race in Georgian Fiction and the talk on the East India Company. At last year's AustinCon, I caught Atistic's presentation on Neurodivergence in Jane Austen's work. And they're doing another talk this year, and it's going to be about neurodivergence in Pride and Prejudice, which is going to be super fascinating because uh, they do a really interesting discussion of how characters like Mr. Darcy can be read as neurodivergent. Uh, Definitely check that out. Charmony is a friend of mine. And we bonded over a mutual love of all things nerdy, especially nerding out over pop culture and literature. We talk about that and what sparked her interest in Jane Austen to begin with. Also Shakespeare and a little bit of Captain America because it's me and I I love Captain America. We talk about her passion for helping people of color see themselves represented in the Western canon, which is, you know, kind of foisted upon them a lot of the time. (laughs) voiced it upon us all and I find it particularly interesting exploring her experience of someone with a chronic health condition who was also a GP by day Uh, so Sharmini is a medical doctor and we talk about that we recorded this chat a couple of days ago so it is certified fresh it is not from a year ago like a lot of the interviews I've been bringing you uh, just, just, just to, uh, you know, prove that I can do it sort of, I can turn an episode around in a week. I can, I can do it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, enough of me. Here's Sharmini Kumar. Hi, Shamini. Hi, Caitlin. How are you? (laughs) I'm all right. How are you? Not bad, thanks. Not bad. (laughs) Uh, Feeling excited for this weekend?
1: Uh, Yes, excited. A little bit apprehensive as always. You know, it's always that way when you've got an event on. Just hoping it will go well and that kind of thing. Yeah.
0: You've been putting on events for like 10 years now, right? Yeah, 10 years. <laughs> so you've been through this. You know, you know how this goes. I've been goes. through this
1: before. I do know how it goes. I do know how this goes, yeah.
0: And this is yeah. the fourth, am I right, the fourth annual Austin Con? It is the fourth annual Austin Con, yes.
1: But one was entirely online last year. Um, so I remember. The one. Yes, you were there. I, w- I was arguably There's a sort of highlight. <laughs> absolutely a highlight.
0: Um, if I do say so myself, and I do.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, should.
0: <laughs> I'm a little nervous about it possibly being, like uh, partially being in person this year. Because um, mm. we're in Melbourne and we've just come out of lockdown and we're all mm-hmm. sort of on our, trying to get our sea legs back or our land legs or mm-hmm. whatever, the, whatever the metaphor is. Yeah, our social legs.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
0: Back. Yeah. <laughs> so, What sort of drew you to thinking, I'm going to start up an annual conference about Jane Austen?
1: Yeah, oh, that's a good question, isn't it? Um, (laughs) I, (laughs) so I had been a bit of a fan of Austen for a while and then around the time of the bicentennial of her death, which is 2007, which was 2017, in case you're not obsessive about Jane Austen um, kind of trivia, (laughs) uh, Which means if you do the maths, you died in 1870. Um, anyway, so we got a little bit of money with our theatre company to put together a version of um, Persuasion, which we ended up um, taking on the road um, to perform in a couple of different places. And when we were doing that, we was kind of thinking about the Austin enthusiast community and there seemed to be sort of two parts of it, like a really sort of academic kind of sit down and let's think about some issues kind of um, side of it. And there was this kind of side of um, like let's recreate the Regency era and, you know, enjoy the costumes and the dancing and the manners and, the you know, that sort of side of it. And then there's online, this whole kind of really playful um Exploration of Austin with you know lots of memes and lots of um, uh, kind of mashups and jokes and that kind of thing. That's a much more kind of um, uh, as I say, playf- playful is a good word, isn't it? Playful response to Austin. And I was like, well, why can't we have all of that like in one space? You know? Yeah. Why can't we- yeah. And why can't we have the same kind of celebration of fandom for Austin as what we do of you know like Comic Con, like pop culture?
0: Um, well that was going to be my next question you know you have things like uh, big fan c- conventions um, you know they're based on lots of different inter- intellectual properties and like series and mean? movie franchises but like Jane Austen was, it's basically six books and then her, there's, uh, there's six books and then there's her juvenilia and, and um, am I missing anything is that oh, it? unfinished,
1: unfinished novels, unpublished ones. But yeah, no, basically six novels. You're right. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's the sort of thing that we would look at expanding. We we do call it sort of Austen and Regency, and there's a lot of stuff in there that that ha- that's Regency and Regency literature that doesn't get explored as much. Um, so I've, I think
0: I've, I've really enjoyed that about the Austin con that I've been to last year, which was. Um, contextualizing a lot of Austin's work in learning Yay. more about the Regency period. So um, Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. And we're gonna do a bit more of that this year as well. And I think like in the same way that, you know, Comic Con is not just about comics. Um <laughs> <laughs> that, true, true. Yeah. Look, when we get big enough to take over like the entire Melbourne um, Exhibition and Convention Centre, we will definitely be including other women writers like the Brontes and people that kind of get lumped together for good or for ill in that sort of same um, uh, historical kind of female, um,
0: female-led female and female-oriented um fiction if you were going to branch out into Bronte you could go Wuthering Heights and that means that you could go Twilight which is a Wuthering Heights fanfic and that means you could go uh after which is no wait, no Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades is, of Grey. Which is Twilight fanfic. And then you could go after, which is Fifty Shades of Grey fanfic. Oh, my gosh. You could just there really... is There are so many.
1: There are so many directions. There are <laughs> there's so, so many. So many directions. Dimin-
0: diminishing returns. But still, there's I lots mean, of directions you could go in. <laughs>
1: this is true. This is true. And look, I'm open to all of that. I think while we're small, we're sort of um, focusing it a little bit around Austin, Um and Austen sort of always have always got a a sort of core audience um yeah so yeah I think there's 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 and there's a lot lot of stuff to explore there so have you tried but yes one day we will take over the entire convention center and yes we will do we will invite el no we won't invite el james
0: (laughs) well I was gonna say before you go inviting el james maybe colin firth matthew mcfadden oh totally uh look colin firth this is a bit of a spoiler, I don't think it's a spoiler. It's a bit oh. of a
1: spoiler, but Colin Firth will be present on Saturday.
0: Okay, that sounds like it's very carefully worded.
1: Well, we have a cardboard cutout.
0: I was wondering I was wondering We have a six we have a six foot cardboard cutout. That's a really good reason to go in person.. <laughs> but no Matthew McFadden. Cause you know, he's a lot of like, you know, the next generation
1: is the next generation one, but we did have to, like we, we did, we did have to make a choice. I think maybe we will start adding to our cardboard cutouts year <laughs> by year or something like that. And just um, yes. start with the classics right. and move forward.
0: Oh, so yeah. you're going to keep it. You're not going to throw it in the lake after throw it in the Yarra. Oh gosh.
1: No, no, <laughs> we will not be throwing. We will not be throwing Colin Firth in the Yarra.
0: I just thought, it you know, you could have him emerging from the Yarra like, <laughs> next to Salvatore, the seal.
1: <laughs> oh, that would be hilarious. We should invite Colin Firth over and see if he's interested and in, I bet he's—bet he wouldn't do it. But anyway, I don't he, blame him for not he, wanting to go for a swim in the Yarra.
0: <laughs> he must get asked to wear so many flowing white, open, bare-chested shirts these days.
1: I know. He must. He surely must, yeah. But,
0: but let's not get hung up on the guys. This is all about Austin. She's our main star. Um, and she is, yes.
1: <laughs> um, but we're totally fine with people fanning out however they want to fan out.
0: Hell yeah! I just didn't want to make this whole podcast about. No, uh, no, that's fine. Colin that's Firth fine, yeah. or Matthew McFadden because I could, I no, could that's go totally there. Fine. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, we would. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah would, We'll be adding um, Henry Golden to the list very shortly.
0: Oh, what is there a new adaptation with him?
1: Not, not Pride and Prejudice, but he there's been some still shots from the um, set of The Persuasion that he's in. Oh, right. I will say that I think he suits a Regency uh, um, outfit. Wow. But, I mean, he suits most things, so that's not really. He really, really
0: right. does. <laughs> <laughs> I- <laughs> anyway we were going to talk about highbrow things
1: I'm drifting away you
0: have to bring me back that's fine sorry sorry <laughs> sorry when I think about Henry Golding I sort of go somewhere um that's, uh, yeah <laughs> oh, um okay so I was uh, what uh I know I can remember when I first uh it, you know encountered Jane Austen's work uh when do you remember your first Jane encounter
1: yes so, so my first sort of uh coming across of Jane Austen was through the babysitters club um because in one of the yep no this is a true story uh in one of the books somebody mentions that their favorite book is Pride and Prejudice um and I had never heard of it um but then I went to one of those you know the school fair type events and they'll be selling you know have like a little bake sale and then I'll have a jumping castle and all that kind of stuff. And they would always have a secondhand book sale as well. Um, and at this one, they were, they were, towards the end of the day, they'd give you a plastic bag and I think it was like for 50 cents you could fill up the plastic bag with as many books as you could fit into it, right? So I was a, I was a reader kid. kid who read a lot and so I you know was going through and picking all these books and I found a copy of Pride and Prejudice I was like oh this is the one that was mentioned in the babysitter's club so I took it home and read it and that was my first introduction to that
0: is so (laughs) wholesome (laughs) my mouth just (laughs) dropped open when you said you could fill a plastic bag for 50 cents I was just like drooling a little um okay
1: this was a long time ago
0: (laughs) But like the books didn't get more expensive. I mean, they're still old books. Anyway, no, that's amazing. Though I, I wish I could do that. Um, That is just so. You actually, as a child, read uh, Pride and Prejudice. Like it's a pretty dry. I would have
1: been sort of uh, eleven or so. Wow, I reckon. Yeah, and I don't think I, I didn't love it initially. Like I liked it. And then um, my, my parents tried to get me into more classic literature and stopped reading all this babysitter's club business. Um, and, you know, I definitely didn't get into the Brontes. So, so I was failing on the on the uh, appreciating classic literature front um, until I got into my teens and, and sort of went back to this book that was falling apart and had it on my shelf. And I was like, this is hilarious.
0: See, oh, that's great because um, I embarrassingly, for like a literary book nerd, um, I didn't get introduced to Austin until I was like 20. I don't know how I missed it. And mm. um, I watched, uh, a friend was like, you got to watch this Pride and Prejudice movie, which had just come out. Um, oh, yeah. Aging myself. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, <clears throat> and I was like, oh, gosh, this is just, you know, it's the Joe Wright Pride and Prejudice. It's long yes. tracking shots. It's very yes. beautiful. And yes. it's, it's very romantic. It's very much looking at the story through uh, an aesthetic. It's very aesthetic, you know? Yes, and yes. I was like, oh, I'm going to go read this book. I'm I'm doing English at uni. I'm going to go read Pride and Prejudice. Mm. Oh, I was so bored. I was so bored because I didn't get it. Like, I didn't, oh, realize, I didn't realize it wasn't a romance novel. So I went in expecting yes. romance. I was like in the mood yes. for that. And then it was just social satire, what? <laughs> um, so I had to come back to it later when I was like in the mood for social satire, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, then I went and read all the others because I was curious. And I really, and I, I, now when people ask me, I always say read Emma first because I feel like if you kind of know the cultural footprint of Austin and, and you're kind of expecting a certain thing, I feel like Emma delivers and it's the most plot driven, like it's very fun and accessible. It,
1: well, it certainly has the most plot in it.
0: Yeah, um, a lot happens.
1: A lot a lot of things happen in Emma, yes. I think like when you sit down and sort of plot it, like do a plot diagram like you would for Adolf, like, there are these sort of bits that just sort of hang off. And you can very easily cut lots of them off without actually, you know, and still tell the overall story. It's really interesting kind of yeah.
0: exercise. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think I do. I, I mean, and uh, it depends ha- how
1: you follow follow the plot through in terms of like even the Frank Churchill and um, Jane Fairfax um, subplots are not actually that important in the overall kind of dramatic
0: plot. If that makes sense? Yeah, totally. Because I mean, that was that was another sort of like unexpected. I think um, from like 20th century to to 21st century romance standards we have a sort of expectation in like the english-speaking world of like the way the way that a novel that's concerned with mm. but, like, relationships is gonna go and um so for me like you know coming off a at that age a steady diet of mills and boone i'm sorry uh Classic. Classic. <laughs> but, I, but i was heading down to the secondhand bookstore to get like another chunk of uh mills and boone books um mm. And then I went and read Pride and Prejudice and 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 I was like I what no this is not what I want at all and of course mm. in, in Emma it's it's uh way more um I mean like you know th- there's not a lot of there's <laughs> not a lot of sort of um belief in the institution of marriage you know there's a mm. lot she's very shrewd very um cynical almost mm-hmm, about mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. And, and, Am I I mean you're the expert am I am I close I, am, I I am not an expert no I don't think she's um I wouldn't go so far as cynical
1: but she's certainly very practical about it she's not um she doesn't really approach it with anything like a romantic idea until the very end when she decides she's in love with <laughs> Mr. Knightley right and then suddenly it's um this sort of super uh, emotional kind of reaction that she gets but the the whole way through like 80 percent of the book she's like not only do I not care about getting married like why would I want to I've got enough money yeah what do you need a husband for except money that's why you need to get married Harriet
0: my god I I wanted Emma's I still want Emma's life pre-marriage so badly (laughs) you just you just rich and popular and that'll be the way it is until you die Mm, I'm not sure how I would
1: go looking after cranky dad.
0: Yeah, true, but he's going to die soon. So. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the maybe like the joke is that he's actually as healthy as a horse, even though he's like always complaining about sickness. Maybe that's I don't but know. But he's maybe- always,
1: always worried about it, isn't he? So it's it's yeah. So I guess he it, would yeah. actually.
0: He would do very well in COVID times. He would be ready for t- it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. He's he's probably a doomsday prepper as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, he's got a big house to to stop. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. So you d- rediscovered Jane Austen when you are a teenager, mm. and then, and then what was your journey then? Did you? Because you are a medical doctor, so did you kind of um, come back to writing later or has it always been a part of your life?
1: Uh, so, yeah, I'd always loved writing and literature and theatre um, as a kid and as a teenager. Um, then I had this brilliant idea that I was going to become a doctor. I sort of just went and did that. It doesn't, doesn't allow for heaps of sort of other activities especially ones that involve brain space um in the initial period and then just sort of came back to theater and just rediscovered my love of things that were not medical <laughs> um uh yeah back in in my let's say mid early to mid 20s 20s yeah
0: right um yeah so th- there was like a period mid-twice, where it was mid-twice. just just all medical for a little while there
1: yeah 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 medical and probably uh, religious I was very uh devout in that period as well wow of, yeah
0: there's kind of a mirror yeah. there like very devout in oh this study, devout certainly religion. is yeah. yeah 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 that's so interesting yeah. so what yeah. brought, what brought you to theater and I know that like your your work has often been adaptations of Shakespeare, adaptations of Austen. So there's a real love for like the the Western canon there. And like like what, what was your journey there to those texts?
1: Yeah. So I um, my parents are um, I wouldn't necessarily say they're lovers of literature, but they were like, look, if you're gonna read, you've got to read the the classics. And as far as they were concerned, the classics were Shakespeare and the Western Literary canon, right? Um, so I did. And, um, this, the, like, the first stuff I got exposed to, you know, in theatre was, like, uh, the importance of being earnest. And I think the first live theatre I ever went to was CMTCs. This, this is so long ago now, but um, Hugo Weaving before Lord of the Rings in um, uh, Much Ado About Nothing. Oh, Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, you know, this kind of thing. Um, and so my parents, uh, my dad particularly, was always like, look, if you're going to read, you've got to read the best, and the best is going to be Western Literary Canon, because what else could it be? Um, well, um, there's an argument to be
0: made for the Babysitter's Club, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> I
1: think there is an argument to be made for the Babysitter's Club. My dad did not accept that argument when <laughs> I was a Babysitter's Club reading age. <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm shocked. <laughs> um, no, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and I think I'd like I'd liked them enough as a teenager that I kept coming back to them. And then as I got older, I was like, I feel like I want to find a way to have this enjoyment that I got out of it. Um, and I think I genuinely did enjoy. Things about you know the Shakespeare and, and the other stuff that that I was reading. The Austen, definitely. Um, I want to find a way to have that, but also have a different sensibility about it too. Like, mm. I want to do that.
0: You want to have sense, um, but also sensibility. sensibility. Yes. <laughs> i'm so sorry (laughs) you're saying saying intelligent things that i'm like it's the title of no no no
1: it's the title of a book it is also the title of a musical that will be being performed next year
0: very exciting yes Um, yeah working on that anyway Um, yeah so that's dashwood sisters singing duets i don't know (laughs) Is that what's going to happen? The Dashwood Sisters
1: will be singing duets and there will be a bit of a preview at AustinCon. So, yeah.
0: Ooh, okay. That's exciting. This whole episode is going to turn into an ad for AustinCon if I'm not careful. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't mean to do that. No, no, no. It's me. I'm going to be doing it just because it's close and I'm excited. Um, (laughs) But, I mean, at the time of this coming out, it'll be tomorrow. So, like, everybody get your tickets. Um, Absolutely. But... Oh, that's something I'm I really interested in your work is you have a, it seems like you have a tendency to want to contextualize these works in their historical period. So there's a real sense of exploring, like what was happening in the world during the writing of these books or like when these books are set. And I mean, yes. something that you've done with Austin a lot, especially at AustinCon is kind of go, what's happening in the Regency area? Because it is... Like you know it's all set in England, and they're they're quite in a way small domestic stories, but they are being affected by global events because of course England is expanding its empire and doing all that great stuff um and so I'm- great stuff great stuff so no, great no <laughs> no <notes. laughs> um that, that's why they call it
1: Great Britain. <laughs>
0: Oh, um, United Kingdom but uh, yes. but yeah you've kind of yeah. taken dare I say it at the risk of sounding really like early 21st century English literature like a post-colonial kind of lens um, and I was just curious if you could talk about that a little bit.
1: Uh, I can talk about it I don't know if I can only talk about it a little bit <laughs>
0: Hey, this is, is a, a subject that's
1: very dear to my
0: heart so you, you know. know you know that this podcast is very loose with time just go. Oh, that's for fine it. you just you just cut
1: out whatever bits will <laughs> just be boring
0: um look yes uh, look i'm a
1: post-colonial person right so my um parents one of my parents is from sri lanka um and which was long at the time of um at the time of you know, Austin's writing, um, that's what the British called it anyway, and my, my mother's in the Philippines. So I have inherited colonialism <laughs> in one sense and also kind of being a coloniser uh, as an immigrant to Australia. So it's right. something that's on my mind a lot, right? Um, and it matters to me that people... Uh, and people of colour get to enjoy Austen's works and get to see the good and the bad that, that is there and not there in, in what she's got to say um, and, and the pictures that she's drawing. And I think w- there's lots of ways of doing that because, as you say, she writes very domestic stories and that means that they can be transposed into lots of different cultures and times, which lots of people do. Um, and that's one form of sort of adaptation and one form of um, reappropriating I guess um, that her stories um, But I think it's also really interesting to look at what it means in the time and in the space and realize that that um, there's more there than what we get from a lot of the Uh, the cultural baggage of austin if that makes sense Mm. like and by cultural baggage i mean like the way that austin has been taught in schools and the way that austin was used in you know english schools in in colonized nations to be like an exemplar of britishness and even the fact that you know my dad is like you should read this this is the sort of thing you should aspire to this is you know great literature capital g capital l Um, and and you know read this not the (laughs) baby
0: Well, I mean, he, um, as funny, well as, but was he suggesting Sri Lankan texts as well? Like, here's this group, no, book. No, right, no, 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 never.
1: Interesting. Austin, Dickens, Bronte, yeah, like um, early American writers, Twain, that kind of stuff. Definitely like Western literary canon. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. 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 So I can see um, why so, you're passionate about um, engaging with it in a way that you can feel comfortable with maybe or like you can see yourself in it is is that kind of a driver for you that's definitely a part of it um I don't think I I don't
1: think I ever have and probably never will get to the point of comfort and maybe that's fine like I think Jane Austen and I are going to be sort of wrestling through these issues until I don't know what whatever <laughs> I don't know what the had yeah. of that is <laughs> No, because she
0: has. She has Until I meet
1: of... her in the great literary afterlife and fucking <laughs> ask her what the heck she thought she was doing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I can't wait till we can do that. Um, <laughs> so, like, she has kind of gotten like in like the nineties onwards, like a sort of a girl bossification. Almost. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But really
1: very she, much a white girl bossification, right? Well, and this is of what I mean what by the is. cultural legacy. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, that's the thing is like, you know, it's meant to be like, Oh, look an empowered woman, but really she doesn't represent, she represents like the 1% of white women at that time, mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. less than that. So um I, I think that's why I'm so interested in your interest in her because it, feel, it feels like it's very, there's a lot of tension and that's, that's really leading to like a really rich creativity there because you've got so much uh, conflict, potential conflict that you can kind of draw on. Like there is a discomfort with it, but also a love for it. And I, I really, I find that fascinating.
1: Yeah, look, I would say Jane Austen is, you know, a problematic fave for me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also there's some of it some of that is and like you say it's a it's a cultural overlay of that's the girl bossification is not is not necessarily uh, directly you know it's definitely emphasizing certain parts of the text over others in in it to produce that effect um and uh, you know the whiteness of it is also a cultural overlay as well that that you know when we see the the uh, you know from probably the great rena- the great renaissance of Jane Austen <laughs> from Colin Firth onward, right, is <laughs> is is very white um until very recently. Um and that's sort of part of what I'm interested in that it's not necessarily like these characters are not necessarily described as being white. They're not often very described in in physical uh, terms very much at all just like we know that Mr Darcy is
0: tall and he looks proud i don't even know what that means how do you look proud <laughs> <laughs> i don't know but i feel like anyone could have a quizzical brow you know it's this just... is true this is true <laughs> yeah yeah exactly
1: this is what i mean um so uh i think that's part of kind of what i want to try to entangle um unentangle disentangle reentangle oh, i don't know whatever somewhere that involves entangle <laughs> with with this with the stuff is in terms of what what do we just assume is there or not there and what is actually you know on the page interesting if that makes sense
0: it totally makes sense I mean there was uh, a few years ago now there was a movie remake of Wuthering Heights that sort of explored a bit mm-hmm. more than the fact that Heathcliff was pr- pretty much written to not be white um I think it's definitely an argument for him not being a white person in the book. But, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um yeah. and aside I,
1: from the physical description of him being <laughs> uh, like, described as having dark skin, which you don't know what that means in you know, well, to a it. Victorian in, author.
0: Well, like in Regency Yorkshire, uh that could have meant anyone with a slight tan, you know. So you just mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um you do you don't know. But like I, I was wondering, how do you feel about cause I just watched the Green Knight the other night? So I'm all like my head is full of Dev Patel. And uh, I was wondering, how how do you feel about the recent like uh, uh, flourishing of period films with Dev Patel, uh, cast in uh, traditionally, I mean, you know, that in other, in the past have always been cast as white men. As
1: white, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were just gonna ask me how I felt about Dev Patel. Yeah, (laughs) actually that that too, that's the part 100% part. (laughs) death
0: to tell i love that As, like <laughs> this is what this podcast has come to are you pro or against Jeff Patel? <laughs> i mean i think
1: so i have not yet seen the green knight
0: um
1: but i want to uh so that is on my list um but well, i have was, seen
0: yeah there was the uh the dickens one the um, dickens
1: yeah the, i have seen the dickens one and i thought it was really fascinating i think I, i'm sort of categorizing um, in terms of historical drama, I've got categories in my mind of the way that they incorporate or don't incorporate people of colour into them. Are you ready for a schema? Are you are you up oh,
0: for a schema? I'm so ready. Yeah. Ready. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like the category one is just like all white, right? And that can be fine. Just do it all white, whatever. And the most recent Emma kind of falls into that category. I don't know if you've seen that one. It's on Netflix now.
0: I feel like they um, went, they got a person who was like, they got an actor, a- Anya is it taylor joy or joy Taylor, taylor? joy yeah, yeah yeah who who is actually whiter than an english person so like they really she wait is, for like, it
1: so incredibly wise
0: <laughs> but also it's like a, it's a
1: very fun adaptation and oh i love you know, that
0: adaptation um, it's a gorgeous gorgeous adaptation i don't want anyone to listen to me like like and think that I don't like Anya Taylor-Joy or I don't like that movie. No, no, no. I enjoy every second of everything she's done.
1: Absolutely. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. 100% agree with you. But And so it's like it's one way to do it, right? So I I also don't want to say that just because you fill your movie with white people doesn't make it a bad movie necessarily. Like that is a good movie. Um, And then you've got the ones that sort of, I would say sort of like David Copperfield, completely ignore race altogether and just sort of put people in them um, without either referring to it or even like in um, the David Copperfield. It doesn't even necessarily make sense for him to be like it. His He he seems to come from, um, you know, whiteness on his father's side and his mother seems to be white. So uh, unless there's some something going on, like, do you know what I mean? Like the, yeah, the yeah. races of the characters don't actually make sense in terms of the familiar relationships, which people do that on stage all the time. So I have no problem with it and I'm fine with it. Um, and I'm interested in it because it sort of gives you representation of race without necessarily looking at race as an issue, if that makes sense.
0: Right. So it's because, kind, because it's, it's, kind it's not. Of, in terms of effort, it's the next step up from not including any diversity. Am I right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is definitely a step up. I am not complaining,
0: but I, and I feel mean, I don't. I feel like
1: colourblind casting
0: has issues. It, all, yes,
1: does. I it all does. It all does. Yeah, there's issues everywhere. There's, this is a minefield of issues. This is this is why, you know, uh, that's why I say it. I think that my love of you know his, history, history in general, and historical historical novels and all of that, and we're just going to be fighting about it to fighting within me basically to the day I die, Or whatever. But I, you know, I loved that that film, and it was a great film, and, and it had some fabulous actors in it. So I, you know, again, I'm not complaining. Also, you know, both that Emma and this David Copperfield are done by people who are white are the sort of or tours as you say, behind them. Um, and I don't know why I said as you say, because I've heard you use the word or tour so many times the last however long. Anyway, whatever. Um, so I think there's that. i got to get right? some new and words. Do, yeah. Yes, have or tour, That's a good one. Um, so I don't necessarily know if they're the right people to be discussing race in Victorian England or Regency England, you know? Like, right.
0: And this is the problem that you come up against is when you've yeah. got so many white directors, white writers who are already the established ones with all the capital. Exactly. exactly. If, you say, if you say, oh, you're not the one to tackle this story, it means people of colour just don't get a look in at all. Like, at all. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, love those kinds of things. The other kind of thing that you get often is the, is the you know, the modern reinterpretation um and resetting and they do this a lot with austin because as um we've talked about she she kind of writes these very sort of small village family dramas that transpose very easily you know map onto lots of different cultural contexts um yeah. and so putting people of color into those and setting it in a community of color or whatever i think that's one way to one way to do it um, but i think it, also kind of again i think there's pitfalls in all of these approaches right because i think what you end up with then is kind of the subtle message that you don't belong in the quote unquote real thing
0: right that that. so like bride and prejudice for example am I, is that the title of that there was a Bollywood that is the title ad- adaptation oh there was there yeah. so was yeah yeah that
1: also that was- i believe included a mariachi band so i am just oh okay saying.
0: sure yeah. sure sure <laughs> I don't know where that falls on the schema. <laughs> I, that is that movie is wild. <laughs> it was very entertaining. I'll say that it um, was
1: a heck of an entertaining film. <laughs> uh, and I I have read so much interesting commentary about that. About anyway, it, well, it would not go into.
0: It would have fueled the hot take industry for like a full year, oh, just powering. Yeah, it.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that absolutely. Je- generated a lot of yeah, well so certainly that, a lot of sound not to necessarily <laughs> know about
0: so let's move past Bride and Prejudice. Let's just leave that on the side. So basically let's leave it on the side was great. What, what's what's the next step in your schema? Is step the right um, word? Uh, it could be it could
1: be. I mean <laughs> I think I think what w- it would be interesting and worthwhile. And I think it works in Dickens because he writes so much about characters who are not of the upper class, um, right. that we could we could actually put people of colour into these stories and actually deal with what it means for them to be people of colour within that story.
0: Well, that's what was kind of interesting about David Copperfield, and I kind of was puzzled by the choice, as you say, to cast uh, white people as both his parents because it kind of felt like it could have been the story where it could have just made sense for for yes. them to be an Indian family in, in England. Yes, um, absolutely. But also, yeah. I, yeah, like you say, then there's that thing of the, the, the auteur filmmaker um, doesn't want to touch that, you know, doesn't want to um, maybe, uh, not, not to sound um, accusatory, but like maybe doesn't want to be responsible for that. And um, yeah. I think, you know, it, it, maybe they just want the talent, they want the, they want the amazingness of Dev Patel without like, mm-hmm. And maybe Dev Patel just wants to be in lead roles without it always having to be about race, you know? I I, I don't know. And I don't blame him for that either.
1: I do not blame him for that either. No, no I, I mean I'm this is this is a guy. That.
0: This is a guy whose first film was Slumdog Millionaire. So I think it's okay this if he wants true. to yeah. move away. Absolutely. From... <laughs> yeah,
1: and let's not get into too much let's, about the exotic also, marigold hotels.
0: Oh god, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen both those films. Let's leave I that to I also have side. seen both those films. Yes. Yes, let
1: Ooh. us, let us. So, no, Ooh. and, you know, Lion and all of those things. So I do not blame him at all for wanting to escape from that. I don't necessarily say that you suddenly have to take a very, you know, the light elements of Dickens and make them heavy. or the, You know, you, I don't necessarily right. mean that everything has to be like a lesson. Um, but I, I, I was really interested for the first however long it was until I realized that that's what they were doing. Like, oh, okay, so you know this kid who's an orphan um, and of Indian parentage. Oh no, wait, that's not it. That's not what's happening. I, was, I had yeah. this whole kind of idea in my mind about him as an outcast, as somebody who constantly feels like he's trying to overcompensate for his. Um, the quote-unquote deficiencies of his birth as they're seen by society etc and then I was like oh no that's not what we're doing here okay (laughs) let me just readjust my mental filter (laughs) on this piece and we'll we'll, we'll, and I loved it I loved it I'm not I'm not complaining about the piece as it were I'm just thinking about it
0: but do you get a bit excited when you see a brown person in a lead role and you think oh like this is gonna like like did you did you feel let down when it was just sort of uh just about being uh I don't know I, I, uh, what, yeah just, was it was he playing a white person like
1: <laughs> yeah see this is the thing right is he play is he playing a white person I don't know the answer to that. I don't know about let down maybe a tiny bit but also then I think it was more just a, a just an adjustment right like yeah uh, and it's the same adjustment, yeah, just an adjustment in my in my thinking as to what I was expecting and, and what I got. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, it was interesting uh, watching The Green Knight. No spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, which is probably most of us. Um, including me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm not going to spoil anything. It's just that um, uh, uh, Dev's mother is played by a Desi woman and then his mother's brother, his uncle, is is – the king and is played by a, by a white man of like with blonde hair sort of you know very like very oh, there um yeah and it's it it is just sort of like played like as if it's as if it's like race neutral which I mean isn't mm-hmm, a thing mm-hmm. it's not it's not really a thing um but it was <laughs> it was interesting how that like because you do spend like the first third of the movie with these kind of movies where you, you kind of go on like, Oh, uh, are they doing a take here or is it just colorblind casting? And I'll leave <laughs> it to people to decide, but like, um, it does sort of take you out of it. Maybe it shouldn't, you know, maybe it shouldn't take you no, out no, of but it. I think we'll get, I think we'll get used to it. Like we got used to it on stage.
1: Um, right. And See, I'm,
0: I'm not so much, stage. I'm not so much with the theater. I, I mean, like, Uh, I haven't been able to like physically go to theatres for most of my adult life. So uh, I miss uh, uh, that whole world is like, it's like, it is genuinely a whole different world. (laughs) Like it's like the part of the arts that I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, Nick, i just take my word for it. Um, But yeah, no, it is pretty common on stage to cast completely completely. "Quote unquote colorblind slash color conscious or whatever the the, the phrase is um, that oh, that's, is most that's used interesting. now." It's yeah.
0: What, and why do, you think, think this why is do a, you think that? Why do you think that's I think the there's case? a
1: certain. I think there's a certain assumption of artifice when you walk into a theatre. Gosh, I sound mm. like a wanker, um, but I think you kind of walk Go into it it. assuming. That's right. Yeah, thanks. Um, knowing <laughs> that there's going to be a certain level of this is not real um and I think that the theatre has always just leaned into that a bit more whereas I think the selling point of like I don't think the selling point of theatre has ever been in the whole history of theatre I could be wrong somebody who's actually studied arts and the history and history will tell me um there's never been an assumption that we are trying to create something realistic there's always been the assumption that we're trying to tell a story about real life, which is slightly different. Whereas I think the attraction of cinema for a long time has been in certain circles that we are recreating real life that is, you know, verite kind of experience. Uh, mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that's why it's always been a lot easier to, to you know, mix and match with theatre um, um, uh, as compared to film. Yeah,
0: I, I think that's fair, and I think you know the fact that um, film includes documentary, but I don't think theater really does have a version of that. Like, you don't sort of go to a theater to like see a recording of something. Um, you don't, but I think <laughs> people really are pushing happens.
1: the boundaries of what mean what theater means, right? And
0: oh, totally, um, yeah,
1: yeah. And I've seen stuff that's been you know theater based on uh, the. Recording like documentary, uh, uh, yeah, versions of theater that I would call documentary style. But you're right, yes. Mm. Ultimately, you're not. You're not. Yeah, like well, they do interviews with people and use verbatim um, quotes, but for for, act, for actors to recreate sorts of things or to set it up in a way that. But there's always, you're right. There's always more of a level of like this is this is at at least one step removed, and in one sense, I think that's more honest. Like the film is not film is not real. Hmm. They, they just set it up to what? make you think
0: that right? wait what i'm really sorry i'm really sorry what Shamani, i thought <laughs> dev patel was 10 feet tall <laughs> what's going on now He is. <laughs> he's really in the room with me <laughs> <Only right>? sometimes <laughs> well it's just it's interesting that you're that you say that that you're making that distinction because your persuasion adaptation for theater It had the audience sitting in the action
1: yes yes it did yes we sort of did it in the round or in a square really it was um and people sort of had to turn their heads or bodies just to see things that were happening behind them or in front of them or literally amongst them so you can you can do that in a way like immerse people in it even while they know that it's fake but film is a different medium and I think all the you know, that the sort of method acting stuff Was never really a thing with stage It's only ever been a thing since film's been around, right? Hmm. So that idea that we're trying to get at this sort of deep truth Which is always a bit of it Like I was just listening to one of my favourite film podcasts recently And they are like, look, method acting is ridiculous Because if they were truly method acting in a period piece They would just constantly be looking around at the cameras and lights And going, what is this?
0: <laughs> so well, yeah i i feel like i feel like what you're saying is if we had never strayed from theater we wouldn't have Jar- <laughs> we we wouldn't have jared leto and i think that's what, that's that's something we should have aspired to we should you know what they were so busy thinking about whether they could they didn't stop to think about whether they should this Uh, is true true.
1: i'm not sure if i should say this word on on your podcast but i will anyway i will say too though that i'm pretty sure they have always been assholes in theater
0: oh i really Uh, thought you were going to go with a different word Uh, okay
1: um, i can go with a different word as well but i will just go with assholes
0: there's always been cunts don't worry about it that's Uh, right yeah they
1: they just had to they just had to find different excuses with theater
0: (laughs) moving on um sure So sorry, I'm, I did not have a segue. Um, let me look at. My no, notes. no, I'm just
1: loving this idea of if we had never strayed from the purity of theatre. I'm not a theatre purist. I love film. I occasionally aspire to make film. I, you know all of that stuff. I just think they're different mediums, and I think we just will find. We'll, I think we'll find ways, and we're doing it now, like with Dev Patel. <laughs> Dev Patel is the the poster child for a new style of theatre where we're not just about. Quote unquote authenticity. We're about something else.
0: Thank goodness for Dev Patel. I know. Dev Patel will save us all. Okay, back from a slight technical glitch. Um, love technical
1: glitches. Love it. Uh- <laughs> love a good technical glitch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, Shamini, you yes, are. Yes, Caitlin. Hi. You are a medical doctor. I am. um, And you have a chronic medical condition. So, my question is: my question is, do you have to gaslight yourself, or like, how does that work? (laughs) (laughs) No, because
1: I believe that doctors should have their own doctors, which means I get a separate doctor to gaslight me.
0: Well, that's just not efficient, you know. <laughs> it isn't efficient, but uh, huh? given
1: that, given that occasionally I do take things like um, um, Valium and things like that, it's probably better that I don't prescribe for myself.
0: Oh yes, that's true. You don't want to go down mm-hmm. the doctor house route.
1: <laughs> no. Oh, doctor! Don't don't get me started on doctor house. Those no, no, cool. no. Sorry,
0: well, we we I shouldn't even. It's, this is a chronic illness podcast i shouldn't have even mentioned him i'm so sorry
1: <laughs> oh my god my family banned me from watching dr house because it was just, just like i would just get so mad and they're like "We can see your blood pressure going up <laughs> you're making the whole house hell to live in while you're watching this show
0: you're not allowed to watch it anymore you're like shaking the rafters with your groans and eye rolls oh
1: absolutely absolutely
0: how, what is it like uh, being sort of on the inside of the medical establishment and also kind of, you know, having the experience of being a chronically ill person? Like, how how did, I, I'm so interested. I feel like there's just so many things with you where it's like you have this really interesting duality and like tension between your two sides. And I, I'm sorry for treating you like you're a character in a TV show. Right no, now. that's I'm fine. I'm loving this because I about. feel like I'm just, I'm just discovering a through line to my life. That's like, whoa, oh, Mind's blown. I, I try really hard not to like have people come on this podcast and it just be therapy, but I'm just so interested. No, that's fine. That's fine.
1: Um, I also get therapy from like proper therapists. It's fine. Good. Um, what is it like? Good. <laughs> I mean, I have this because I'm a, and it's it's kind of, I feel a bit embarrassed right? it because it's a kind of a cheat, right, because I am a medical professional. It means that I have a lot of shortcuts with other doctors that I know how to communicate with them to get my points across. I mean, usually, mostly. Um, that, occasionally that doesn't work. I did once have a doctor try to explain to me what a uterus was um, by drawing a diagram. Um, <laughs> That like, is a true oh, no. story.
0: That is a Let true me guess. story. Oh, please, was it was it a cis man?
1: Uh yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Quite dude. old. There was a whole thing. Yeah, oh no, God. that's a real thing. Um, but I mean, most of the time, and with my own GP, I have been with this GP for quite a long time. Um, so having lived in Melbourne f- for a long time too, and and been able to establish a relationship with the doctor that hasn't left their practice or hasn't left the state or whatever, it has made a real difference. Um, so having, like, I think being, being, being a doctor myself means that there's an extra level of trust that they have in me, which is not necessarily warranted, but is there. If that makes sense, or when I come in with my list of symptoms or oh, requests or whatever.
0: That's interesting. Do you think the trust comes out of like sort of collegiate thing, or is it like you have the training to understand your own symptoms, like like, or or is it like a, cur- a professional no. courtesy?
1: And I think it's more professional courtesy because there's certainly been times. There have definitely been times where I have not. Uh, like I think there is a, like there is a reason why why people say that you you know therapists can't give themselves therapy and, and doctors shouldn't be their own doctor because I don't think you can be um, as as uh, calm about your own symptoms as somebody else can be mm-hmm. um, and whether they're calm in a good way or calm in a bad way is is, is a separate question to that I think um, um, so there's definitely been times where I've been un un reasonable (laughs) or what (laughs) what doctors might say was unreasonable about my health Um, and but I feel like I've been dealt with in a way that that I would not have been if I hadn't also come in as I mean first as a medical student and then secondly as a doctor
0: yeah, how, how, how hard do you hit it when you come in? Do you be like, hi, Dr. Shamani Kumar, nice to meet you? Or like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well, as I say, I've been with my current doctor for over at least tw- at least 20 years now. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he already knows that I'm a doctor. Um, <laughs> and usually if he's referring me to somebody else, he will put that in the referral. Uh, mm. Yeah, so that people people. People know. I feel like people don't like being sort of um, surprised by that, or or, or feel feeling ambushed by that. Oh, yeah,
0: that makes Uh, sense. I guess, yeah. Yeah, I think.
1: Yeah, uh,
0: I think there's. I mean, I I would
1: like to think that my GP extends the same courtesy um, and respect to to all his patients. I certainly hope so, but there's certainly um, a level of taking things on. Trust that—that that I think is is a privilege that I have.
0: Yeah, I often think that a lot of doctors don't think that they're being discourteous when they, you know, dismiss me or or um, make light of something. You know, I think um, they often think that they're comforting me by, like, you know, there's mm. that old thing of like if the doctor's worried, then you're really worried, and so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, the doctor will try and hide or or appear always like you know unruffled so that it doesn't alarm mm-hmm. the patient um mm-hmm. but of course when you're chronically ill you just feel like you're just not being believed uh, well I mean mm-hmm. I, I, I was just speaking from my own experience um of course uh, yeah but at the same time you know I I um <laughs> I think I told you recently when I had um I, I got a went and got a blood test uh done just got some blood taken for some tests to be run usually i don't find out about these results for weeks right and i had a uh, follow-up appointment coming up in a couple weeks so i thought that's when i'll find out about these results i got a call three hours later from the mm. uh from the clinic and they were like um the lab flags when flags uh, it for us when there's like some really alarming results and then we call you <laughs> They were calling me to see if I was like conscious and I oh was like gosh. um that's what you need isn't it Well and and yeah. uh, uh, and like unfortunately the person who rang me wasn't the one from the clinic that I like <laughs> like it was the one who doesn't have the best bedside manner So mm, she mm-hmm. she really she really stressed me out and she yeah. was like do you feel dizzy and I was like well e- a little now but it might be because you're stressing me out man yeah. like, <laughs> So I was like, okay, but like at the same time, I felt like, um, oh, they're mm. taking me seriously. Like it was really mm. reassuring that if something mm-hmm. is seriously wrong, they mm-hmm. will follow up. They will take mm-hmm. me seriously. Uh, so, yeah. it's, you know, uh, I think um, uh, it's it's hard, to, it's, hard, like, it's hard to navigate this stuff. Anyway, I've just made it about me, but... Uh- <laughs> no, no, no. So, look, that's, that's true. And
1: my doctor is reasonably like, um, I mean, it goes both ways too in that I've been a patient of his for now long enough that I trust him. Um, and, uh, you know, there have been times where I've sort of turned up every, every, every month or six weeks and be like, something else is going on. You've got to do more blood tests. And you'd be like, okay, we just did all these tests a month ago and you're only 30 years old you also do have a chronic mental health condition, which could explain what's going on. I'm like, oh, okay, you could be right, right? Okay, let's, let's you know. Um, but he, I trust him to know, you know, how, how often is the right amount of time to do to repeat the blood tests and he trusts me to turn up and have them done as often as, I, as they do need to be done and to discuss symptoms and, and to sort of go back and forth both ways. Um, which is I guess what I mean about like um, needing it. like i occasionally I need a reality check too, in terms of mm. you know yes, you are right that's this is this and this I, I, I mean it's it's sort of my own internalized um, um ableism as well that I'm always not always I have often gone through periods where I've wanted to find um, uh, I've wanted to find a Kind of blood test answer for a lot of my symptoms, which were essentially severe anxiety and depression.
0: Oh, um, totally. Yeah, you want something that yeah. shows up on a scan or an X-ray. You that's want right. That's, that's right. and yeah. my, And my GP, and my GP
1: was the person who's who's who was quite good, I think. And I'm not trying to say that there are not terrible terrible doctors out there, and that you know all of us don't occasionally act quite terribly, but. In my case, my experience was that my GP is and is that my GP has been able to be reassuring but also checking up enough that I'm like, yes, okay, you could be right about that. (laughs) okay (laughs) i'm not having an addisonian crisis and like being a medical student is even worse right because you're like
0: i just read about this thing (laughs) you're a you're a medical student with severe anxiety and you're reading the books going oh i didn't know that was possible maybe i have yeah that's right yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) well that's something i was i was wondering about because i know with me i i don't have medical training uh i didn't do science like past high school Um, so a lot of the time I will be told oh we think you might have this and I'll be like that's a thing like I didn't know I didn't know Addison's was a thing until like they started looking for it and you know Mm -hmm. so I I wonder if you've got like a really like you know comprehensive knowledge of what the body can do if you start noticing every little tweak and feeling more Am I not helping? Am I just I'm making like, no, it no, worse? No, 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 no. <laughs> Do you feel anxious? Oh, look, I think you feel no, right now? <laughs> I
1: think I have got better and sort of come to a place of, again, probably not peace, but um, acceptance anyway of what what in what uh, my chronic mental health condition feels like in my body. Um, so. So I'm probably less uh, less this way with my doctor than I used to be. Um, certainly, I think that I can I can be that way, um, and I can also be the other way. Like I can also be like, ah, it's fine, it's fine, it's totally fine. Why would that not be fine? Surely that's within <laughs> the spectrum of normal. That kind of thing as well. So so it I can I, I'm. But I think I suspect, like most people, I can I can get super worried about some things and fixate on them, and then other times ignore things that, in hindsight, you go, actually, that might have been important.
0: <laughs> yep. Oh, I've done that, and I I you know even as a chronically ill, uh, uh, what's the word for like a non medical person, like a pleb? I don't know, <laughs> A civilian, lay-a-person? a lay person. <laughs> Thank you. I I was looking for that word. Um, yeah like I I mean I've definitely thought oh that's just you know that's just normal bodily function and it turns out it was Mm -hmm. acute pancreatitis or something and it's Mm -hmm. like oh Mm -hmm. it's because I didn't know about pancreases or like what could go wrong and so I was just like that's some mystery pain and and I went to I went to a couple of doctors with the pain because I was very conscientious I was like you know Mm. you can take care of yourself and Mm mention things to the doctors and they were just like Mm -hmm. it's nothing go home don't you're just anxious and so you know unfortunately for me it has actually worked out a few times that it wasn't just anxiety and it was something Mm. serious that kept getting worse and Mm -hmm. now when I see you know um people saying it's like ah it's probably not COVID I'm like I don't know that yes (laughs) yeah for sure I'm getting a test um Mm -hmm. Because I don't have the belief in my own bulletproofness like that a lot of people well, have.
1: when people say it's not COVID, I don't have pr- pr- belief in their bulletproofness, especially with regards to COVID, which can have so many symptoms on a scale from very little to anyway. You don't need you don't need that right now, I'm sure. We've all oh heard look, that
0: I think we're full. all we're all there, aren't we? We're all living it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I've heard that so many times from people, and uh, yeah, I don't have. Yeah. yeah, let's move on. Let's move on.
0: No, let's. <laughs> I, I feel like there's a lot we could say, and I think it's important to say. But then I just realized that the people who would choose to listen to this show probably already know it. So, yeah, I'm probably yeah. not. Re- I'm probably not reaching the anti vaxxers with this show. <laughs> no, no, probably not. And I think that's okay. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I'm very happy. I love my audience. I love you. Thank you. Um, thanks for being great. <laughs> so <Yeah>. um, <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of interested. So you've got this like perspective as someone who experiences a chronic condition and has a medical training, and you love Jane Austen. And like, how do you how do you read like Jane Austen as far as like chronic illness because I mean there's like been a lot of different interpretations of things I mean you've got a lot of people on fainting couches and taking like you know trips to the seaside for their health and um, um, Jane Austen herself was chronically ill like we don't know exactly with what but there's lots of theories so I mean what do you do you have a read on the her work like attitudes of you know, mental health and chronic illness in her work?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many theories, by the way, so many theories. There's theories out there. (laughs) Um, Like, I think you you see different attitudes to health in her novels. Um, I think at one level you've got somebody like, you know, the the Mrs. Bennett from Pride and Prejudice. Oh,
0: terrible chronic illness representation. Super anxious. Terrible, Yeah, Yeah. super anxious
1: and that kind of... um, uh somatization of her illness to use like again sound like a wanker but like who feels her anxiety in her body a lot ah, okay. um so yeah. maybe she,
0: she might be someone who um uh, just for anyone who hasn't like seen the movies or, or read the book um so she is the mother of the main characters. she's the
1: mother of the main character um and she's
0: the sort of person who is very
1: anxious and very nervous um but she, she's not sort of-
0: she's not sympathetically portrayed as such she's She's not not
1: sympathetically portrayed no she's she's She's, more of an antagonist yeah 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 um which which yeah in one sense i don't think it's great chronic illness right um
0: but like i was just thinking she she might be someone who would be looking for a blood um, an abnormal blood test or hoping to find something on the scan so that she especially back then so that she could uh, perhaps in her mind legitimize what she was feeling you know even though she was i suspect she'd be
1: slightly different
0: oh okay. uh, you no know, she might be
1: i would i would say I she love a this. Person who wouldn't necessarily want the tests but would want the treatment
0: oh okay so you do think maybe she really was someone who wanted the attention I don't know I don't mean it like that no no uh, Um, no no judgment people deserve attention (laughs) yeah no I think there's a certain
1: uh, my read of her and I could be wrong is that she has an awareness that what she's going through and this is what I love about Austin by the way is that you can we can have this conversation about these characters and there's enough in there to justify both either of our points of view you know yeah Um, I think she's the sort of person who knows, at some level, that her physical her physical symptoms are related to her nervousness, her anxiety, right? Because she talks about, you know, like uh, uh, you delight in teasing me, and you know that it always makes me feel this
0: way, right? Um, yeah, that really, and that, I think that really makes me dislike Mister Bennett a little bit when, like, it's like, yeah. like she she knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing, and uh-huh. he continues to tease her. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and yeah. she's very aware that when she goes when she's in bed ill after Lydia's elopement, she's very aware that that's why it is. Like she doesn't have a sense. I don't think she, there's a sense of like, oh, what, a, how inconvenient that my. You know, heart palpitations started up just at the same. What a coincidence! You know, I don't think she's that person. She's like, I have been sent to bed ill because of the stress placed on me by what my situation. And I think that's one thing that maybe the 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 ancients, (laughs) Um, people in (laughs) vict people in Victoria, that's right, people in regions in Victorian England. is they sort of had a sense, at least in the for people who who were in the upper classes, um, that you could be genuinely ill from stress and uh, mental fatigue slash conditions,
0: you know. Oh yeah I mean like in the I think in the at least at the end of the Victorian era hysteria was considered something that could be experienced by you know men women any gender because this is right. yeah. it was it was actually like they for a while they saw it as a reaction to city living and like mm-hmm. the, the stresses mm-hmm. of the fa- and they needed to go and take like the country air for yeah to, to yeah. restore their nerves um, I really wish yeah. we could bring that back. I mean, you know, I don't know. I'm not not an aristocracy though, so it's not going to happen for me anyway. (laughs) I mean, like this weekend, everyone in Kew was going to their country homes. Uh, No, I'm sure they were. That was a little Melbourne joke. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sorry to everyone Mm -hmm. else. Um, That's
1: fine. (laughs) Yes, so no, absolutely. So I think I think that's, So I mean, she is unsympathetic, but I don't think she's unsympathetic purely because of the Illness. I think she's unsympathetic right. because of the way that she, um, uh, uh. Well, in fact, I mean, I think Joe Wright would argue with you about how unsympathetic she is or isn't,
0: but that's a separate question. But he—that's um, an but adaptation. Like he—he he adapts that's to true. her a certain way.
1: I would say, uh, like, I would say that if I if I wanted to get super psychological with it, um, I would say there's definitely an argument that. The, oh,
0: we should just clarify, you're not a psychologist.
1: I am not a psychologist. I'm definitely just, not a psychologist.
0: We're just a couple of lay people have, have, shooting the breeze about <laughs> Shooting the breeze about characters.
1: psychology, that's right. <laughs> I would say that since the novel is primarily from Elizabeth's point of view, I can see how she would be particularly difficult for Elizabeth to get along with because of her, Elizabeth's um, alignment in that family dynamic with her father. And because of the role that Elizabeth has had to play in uh, kind of caretaking for her mother, yeah, yeah, I would, I would argue that those are the things that it's the role that they play in caretaking as much as anything else that that uh, they, that makes her uh, uh, unsympathetic. If that's the mm. right word,
0: I think. In I think the also the Joe Wright. Know. Oh, I just think in the Joe Wright movie, they even had. Uh, mr bennett sort of like tending to plants and flowers as opposed to in the book it's something way drier i think it's like way something something not as um something that didn't have this sort of uh, connotations of nurturing and like he's secret, mm-hmm. he's secretly really nurturing beneath this uh, austere, yes. you know, playful, yeah. uh, not playful. He's more, he's more like needling. He kind of needles yeah. People yeah. a little bit, but like, you know, I, I mean, the Joe Wright version is like very much through a romantic lens. Like I feel like it's, it's pretty sympathetic very to no. most of the characters, except, one and that would be Miss Caroline Bingley who has no redeeming qualities <laughs> and I think that's yeah. super unfair anyway um... it's extremely unfair yeah so no
1: I think there's that's there's that too the other one that I think of is is persuasion do you want me to stop or
0: should we keep going oh please keep going we're about to talk about okay. persuasion okay persuasion. <laughs> I
1: mean persuasion is, persuasion is a more mature novel as written towards the end of her life and probably being revised when she was unwell um, Jane Austen, that is. Mm. Um, and so uh, you, you see in something like um, pride and prejudice, where the heroine is is this sort of fit, walks three miles with a petticoat deep in you know inches deep in mud and that and that kind of physically healthy person, whereas in when you get to persuasion and Anne Elliot, who is definitely the heroine and is probably the most sympathetic of it of all the heroines um in oh, you, anyway. oh you mean She's my favorite
0: so, you mean sorry, the one ahead. you mean the one who's single for years because she couldn't have an awkward conversation yeah i yeah i relate yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> she just couldn't she face was, it <laughs> that's right that's right i'm yeah. sorry to sorry to ann Elliot. i'm reducing it for comedy oh no no no! i that was the, the, that was the book that I was like, it really like put a lightning bolt through me when I read that passage yeah. about, um, uh, you know, what was it? Men may love the most, but women love the longest without hope. I'm, yeah. I'm fully paraphrasing because it's way more mm-hmm. beautiful than that. But mm-hmm. I, I remember reading that when I was like 21 and being like lightning bolt. This is genius. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, um, please sure. go on. Please go on. I mean, Anna,
1: Analia, Elliot's physically less strong than other characters so she's the one who needs to to you know be, be be rescued on the walk she needs to have the right back she's physically not as strong but but I think also the depictions of um um Benick, who was injured in the uh, on one of the ships in the war mm-hmm. and his eventual bride Louisa like you can you can if you want to read Louisa having the fall and being and subsequently developing some kind of what we I presume is a traumatic brain injury um, and a disability from that as like a punishment for her high spirits. But I think Austin actually sort of talks about what she um, uh, I also don't want it to sound like she's like she taught her a lesson because I don't think that's right. But I think Austin sort of depicts her, Uh, Them both, as having discovered in uh, not just each other, but in their illnesses, um, things that they found really valuable as well, Mm. Um, and finding you know lives and love and happiness um, with people that they ended up being really suited to that they wouldn't have met necessarily otherwise. Right. And And romanticize it too much. I don't want to romanticize it too much. I think it's a it's a really interesting. Interesting um, depiction of injury and illness, and mm. yeah,
0: there is a sense in that novel of growing into like the person that can be with your, you know, um, yes, Paramore. yes, yeah. yes. But I think there's also
1: a sense in that novel of um, making the best of or sort of overcoming really sh- shitty situations. Mm. um and I think that that's part of that right like the the shitty situation of them having been parted because she couldn't have the awkward conversation <laughs> <laughs> and, you know shitty situations in the war and with other things like people find finding ways to not necessarily make the best of but finding happiness and fulfillment, fulfillment in their lives in spite of the shitty situations
0: yeah it's very odd to read these uh, books from you know a couple hundred years ago and when one of the the male characters will sort of be off off stage for a while, and you realize that they're probably like here or like in the south South Asia. Like they're they're like yeah. the, the places that they're going are the places that we live like now.
1: This, yeah, but this is to bring it to bring it full circle back to what we were talking about. <laughs> I mean, uh, about Austin earlier, like. Um, Probably not so much. 1806 was when Frederick Wentworth went into the navy, but his mentor was Admiral Croft, who is uh, sort of this this lovely man who's got a lovely wife who goes to sea with him, and they're you know generous and kind and thoughtful people. But at the time that Admiral Croft was making his way up in the in the navy, so much of what the British Navy was doing was protecting uh, slave ships on transatlantic voyages,
0: right? So, yeah yep 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 (laughs) this is what i mean like no you you should say it and like that's the thing is like uh i think a historical historical understanding is so important to reading these books Uh, and i mean it's, it's it's necessary too because a lot of the um the humor in these books is sort of based on understanding social etiquette norms of the time and why why it would be rude or or funny for someone to act a certain way but then when you really yeah. start you start learning about it and you're like oh, they were uh yeah totally protecting slavery mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or you know perpetuating slavery or like definitely benefiting from it it's like that's oh, right. oh okay these aren't really yeah. underdogs. <laughs> no no
1: and even Frederick Wentworth like even though uh, the slave trade had been largely abolished by the time that he he became a naval officer according to the like it's one of the books where she actually puts dates in it so um right uh, gosh i'm such a nerd anyway it's um great. but I also love like yeah. thank you he would have been involved with um probably routes to uh china and india and all the um you know colonizing that was going
0: on there like was there um, the, the tea they were drinking from sri lanka possibly I think, and not, not a historian or an expert, but I
1: think probably at that stage, I could be wrong, but the tea was all coming from China. So they were selling, selling stuff, including, um, uh, and they're basically looting India and, and that subcontinent um, mm. and taking it to China to, to get tea um, and then take the tea back to England. Great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's how that's how like the opium war started, right? But the opium was a little bit later.
0: I need to read more history because we spent so much in high school on the World War II. And I, I don't think oh, there's yeah. anything wrong with that specifically. No. Like we don't want to repeat history, but that's the thing, is like we're repeating no. it in so many other ways. That's right. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so I think and it's yeah,
1: it's a bit later on. So this is Potentially, the, after the book, as they get involved with the with the opium <laughs> in the Opium Wars.
0: <laughs> oh boy, sorry,
1: that's
0: not funny. That's <laughs> just <clears a throat> later. As, you know, it's a dark laughter. It's a it's a
1: yes, it it's is. Ma- it's macabre. Yes, it is. Yes it is. <laughs> um, yes, it is.
0: Look, we don't have a lot of time left, but this has been so much fun. I just have. Um, one really important question left to ask you Shamani. Um Okay. So just like prepare Wait. yourself. All um, right.
1: Uh, I'm sitting up straighter. Um yeah. Yeah. like just,
0: you know, go square on. square your shoulders. Sparing my shoulders. Like, yeah. Clench your Chin fists. Mhm. Oh,
1: okay. Okay.
0: Here we go. Here we go. All right. You ready? Mhm. What do you like about Chris Evans? <laughs>
1: So many, many things, Caitlin. So many things.
0: <laughs> like, just like, what do you like about him? <laughs> I think,
1: I think he comes across to me as somebody who is uh, genuinely interested in the fate of humanity, which shouldn't Aww. be that uncommon, but does seem to be. That's he, nice. he comes. Yeah, he comes across to me as somebody who is um, also fairly level-headed and down-to-earth as far as you can be with the sort of level of fame and fortune that he has. Yeah. Um, he, he also comes across, again, this is all comes across to me through social media, so, you know, um, as somebody who has a sense of humour, um... um how can you say anything bad about somebody who loves dogs? Right. Um, I know, right? And I think he gets undersold as an actor because people underestimate how difficult a role like Captain America is.
0: Thank you.
1: Thank you. He's a good actor. Well, yeah, and I think people assume that the Captain America role is easy because he's relatively because Captain America himself is a fairly open character, he's this honest, noble character. But I think that is harder to play than what people realise.
0: Yes, and if you actually, I think um, it's so interesting because, um, so I'm a big Chris Evans fan, as I think is probably evident by now. And (laughs) sometimes when I bring him up to people who don't really engage with like his, they don't really know his career or anything they think that Mm. he's they think he's basically captain america they think he's really Mm. um square and like beige Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. i'm like uh i i'm like well welcome to the man that i know (laughs) um (laughs) who's like the uh the the massachusetts chain baseball cap wearing guy who loves Mm -hmm. who loves like um show tunes and also like fucking like you know what I mean like he's just mm-hmm. uh he's a really he's a study in uh opposites in a way but yeah they think he's just Steve Rogers and that's how good his yeah. acting is really is that you can exactly. see you can see him exactly. like in the behind the scenes like when they cut a take uh and, like yeah. and he just he just like f- fully drops Steve Rogers right off him like it's like mm-hmm. he sheds him like a skin. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, don't to, I don't want to mythologize acting too much, but like, I think like what I like about him is everything that you just de- described is like the, the sort of way that he seems to have substance there. Um, mm-hmm. And he's got a really
1: cute dog. What's not to like? Absolutely. What's not to like? Um, can I also just say that I, uh, Netflix has been sending me emails to let me know that Knives Out is on Australian Netflix at the moment.
0: I've literally got it marked like I, I'm like I've got a notification mar- saved for when, it, <laughs> when, it, <laughs> when it's available to watch because um, it's such a good movie. Um, mm. I, I, yes. feel like, uh, I Sorry, go on. I was going to say I, I want him to do more comedy. I think
1: he um, yes. is underrated in terms of comedy. I think he's also somebody who probably, this is just my vibe, um, needs to be directed really well. Um, Mm. And I don't feel like I've seen that happen in a heap of other movies.
0: What do you mean by directed really well? Because you are a director yourself. Not a film, but, well, sometimes a film, but of theatre. Sometimes a film. Um, I think he... uh,
1: I feel like, for, I, don't, I don't want to name names, but um, I feel like sometimes that there's more depth to be had in some of the character, the more dramatic characters he's played. Oh, and it's, it's not okay. that I don't think he can do it.
0: We can talk about Joss Whedon if you want. <laughs> Sorry. He's
2: <laughs> <laughs> that
1: guy. Anyway. Um, I, I, like I, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking something of like Snowpiercer, actually.
0: You know what? I was thinking of Snowpiercer too.
1: Yeah. Which, which I like, but I feel like could have been mine for more depth. And if that's not yeah, happening. Yeah, I agree. Then I feel like that's actually a director issue and less an actor issue because I feel like Chris Evans has shown us in other films that he can do it.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting.
1: So that's my, but maybe this is me, me too, that I, I often think this is not that the, the actor can't do this. This is they have been directed weirdly or badly or in a way that I don't think works. So yeah, I want to see Chris Evans do great things and more things and more comedy and more drama and more everything, really.
0: I really want him to do a screwball comedy where he tap dances. That's what I'm waiting for. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Come on. Oh my gosh.
1: Look, I am available to write and direct.
0: Please. Caitlin and I
1: Caitlin and I are available to co-write and direct.
0: We're announced. Shamini and I, I are announcing so. right now uh, that we are <laughs> co-writing and co-directing a Chris Evans vehicle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> which we have not yet got Chris Evans on board. Yes. Uh, but
0: well, he'll come around. He'll come he'll around. Come around. Um, something I really like about him that you'll probably, uh, you know, something you relate to in him as well, he's very open about having an anxiety disorder, which is just mm-hmm. so, so refreshing. Um Absolutely. And he it is it, very refreshing I like the way he talks about it. I mean sometimes um, his advice is a little too um, how do I put it like esoteric uh, mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. where where I think like maybe like he's approaching the type of anxiety he has is something where he could actually like mindfulness really works for him and that's great yeah sometimes yeah. I think his his advice is a little too simplistic because of that. Um, and like a lot of people have anxiety that, you know, can't just be treated by like quieting the mind. Um, yeah. But anyway, but, you know, it's still great to have someone just really matter of factly talking about the fact that they have anxiety and not sort of turning it into like a big um, moment for them. It's, yeah. Just, yeah. it's just part of just his life. Is. Just yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, I definitely appreciate that too. I don't know what you mean. And I think it's also, like obviously with people like Chris Evans it's hard to know the the, the line between the things that they um the, the, the things that they simplify down for for press discussions and things like that you know with regards yeah. to anxiety and other that's things. true and
0: well so. there's still a lot of stigma out there about mental health and um it might you know even someone like him might have to a, walk a line of like you know How much do I disclose? Or like, are they going to think that I'm a risk to work with? Like, because yeah, even though he did have the Marvel contract, but like that's rare. You know, it's still kind of a gig economy, Um, Mm -hmm. where you just like, you know, you finish a movie and then it's like, okay, what's the next gig? What's the next gig? Um, This is true. Although realistically, I feel like he
1: could probably afford to never work again for the rest of his life.
0: But look, that may not be. But you know, earlier in his career. oh of course
1: of course of course not wanted to disclose (laughs) have we even said the bit about how you're going to be on a panel at austin
0: con oh i don't think we did um yeah i'm gonna be be on a so i was on a panel at austin con last year 2020 and i'm gonna be doing another one this year 2021
1: yes yes we'll be talking about non-canonical pairings romantic relationships between austin characters and people who they don't get paired with in the books
0: yeah I'm gonna have some fun with it I'm very excited I bet you are I'm so excited to hear what you're playing <laughs> I'm really happy because I got like around the same time like you told me I was gonna be on this event and I got programmed by Young Writers Festival on an event where I was just reading out fan fiction I'd written I was like <laughs> I was like man you festival folks you've got me pegged <laughs> absolutely put absolutely me your, put me on your panels about fandom yay yay um I love it. I love enthusiasm. I love loving things. So I'm very excited yes. about Austin fun. Yes. Um, well, that'll do it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so Sorry. I'm so tired. We both, we both. No, need that's a break. Fun. <laughs> we, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's both go watch some Chris Evans and relax. Yes. 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 <laughs> Thank you to Shamani Kumar for sitting down with me for that chat. Only a few days before her big live event. Austin Con 2021. I've put links in the show notes, and uh, alternatively, you can search for her production company, Twenty Four Carrot Productions. That's carrot is in the vegetable. Thank you, as always, to my Patreon subscribers for making me able to pay rent and bills and buy food while creating this kind of work that I love. If you want to become a Patreon subscriber, you can go to Patreon.com forward slash Blythe by Name. B l y t h e. That's my last name by name. Uh, and you, if this month, I'm in November twenty twenty one. I'm doing a special offer where if you become a subscriber for more than seven dollars Australian a month, uh, it's a random number because of Patreon being a US website and they usually do US dollars, so it would be fun. It look anyway. It's seven dollars Australian. If you sign up for more than seven dollars Australian a month. This month, then I can offer you a complimentary ticket to Just a Spoonful's first live event, which is happening on the third of, 3rd third of December 2021 on the International Day of People with Disability. It's going to be very exciting. I'm going to be recording an episode of this podcast live in front of an audience for the first time. I've never done this before, and I'm going to have very special guests, comedian Alistair Baldwin and author Jess Healy-Walton. Um, they're both very fun, and it's going to be a great time. So, uh, if you want to pay full price for a ticket, which is 100 percent an option, uh, they are available $18 through Eventbrite, and I'll be putting links to all this in the description. Of course, um, very excited about that. Uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, Blythe by Name, uh, for more updates. In the meantime, I hope you find a spoonful of something to keep you going.